You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated, and good morning to 10 o'clock gathering. Good to see all of you here today. Let me just begin. You don't have to turn there yourself. It's uh, in Psalm 75, verse 10, when the psalmist writes, and I will cut off the horns of the wicked. The psalmist could have just drawn this instead, I guess. Horns off. That was the short sermon. Now for the long sermon. We started a new series last Sunday morning called In-House. What, what happens when God's people gather? What, what profound, mysterious, eternal thing happens when we come together as God's people in the presence of God? It kind of begs the question, what is a healthy church? I mean, do, do you belong to a healthy church? Do you contribute to the health of a healthy church? Because really, a, a healthy church here at Highland, that's, that's our goal is to be a spiritually healthy church. Our goal is not to be the biggest church in Waco. That's not our aim. That's not even close to our aim. Our goal is not to be the the coolest church in in Waco with with trendy vibes happening all the time. In fact, with an unbelievably uncool pastor here at Highland, there's just no way we would ever be like the trendy, vibey church here here in Waco. And, And Pastor Jared is even less cool than I am, right? Amen to that, amen. Okay, I need some amen, some affirmation on that. Just want to establish that quickly. Our our goal is not to be like this fast-growing church in Waco. Our our goal is not to have slick production or or powerful technology or or high-class musical entertainment. The goal is health. The goal is to be a spiritually healthy church. So how do we get there? Ray Ortland would say that gospel doctrine plus gospel culture equals a healthy church. Gospel doctrine plus gospel culture equals a healthy church. Let me explain gospel doctrine. Gospel doctrine would be truth and and scripture and theology. That that we stand on truth, that we stand on, on scripture, that we stand and we declare theology. Now theology is simply just the study biblically of God's character. And so and I hope this does not hurt anybody's feelings, but the Bible is much less about us and much more about the character of God. It's much less about anthropology and and, and more about theology. Who is God? What what is the character of God? What is God's plan, God's design for for our life and for the world and for our hearts? What is God's design for our sin? What's God's design for our freedom and our forgiveness? So it's not so much what is man in the Bible, but who is God? So what then is is gospel culture? Gospel culture is then you and I treating one another and considering one another biblically. How does God direct us within the church family to treat one another, to consider one another? Not according to preferences or to cultural trends. Not according to what is most convenient for us or even what's most advantageous to us. But how does God direct us to treat and to consider one another? And those two things have to go together. You have to have gospel doctrine and gospel culture to have a healthy church. Because really, gospel doctrine without culture is cold. But gospel culture without doctrine is simply sentimentality. In light of what today is, I know it's October 31st today, doctrine is the skeleton. 
and, and culture then is, is the skin because a skeleton without skin is kind of scary. But skin without a skeleton is saggy and soft. And no one wants to go to a saggy church. So gospel doctrine and gospel culture, they must have each other. They must be in equal parts with each other in order to have a healthy church. And so in this in-house series that we began last week, we are looking specifically, even today, about gospel culture. How do we biblically treat one another? How do we biblically consider one another? So let's get to God's word. Let's go to Romans chapter 12 together today. Romans is in the New Testament. It's six books into the New Testament. You've got the four Gospels, Acts, and the book of Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. We'll begin in verse 1. This is Paul writing the church of Rome, the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, through his writings to the church of Rome, just as God today, through the Holy Spirit, is going to speak to us this morning. Romans chapter 12. We'll begin in verse 1. I appeal to you, or I beg you, therefore, church family, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, church, though many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Look at those last five words again there in verse 5. Individually members one of another. Your note taker, here's what you can write down. Point number one today we belong to each other. As we consider the culture of, of this church family, we belong to each other just as the parts of the body belong together and are connected, verse four, together. So in Christ, we are connected to one another. It's very vital for us to understand this. At the very beginning of the sermon today, Christ is the one who connects us together. We're not connected by ethnicity. We're not connected by nationality. There's 35 different nationalities represented within the Highland Church family. We're not connected by our socioeconomic status. We have warehouse workers at Highland. We have warehouse owners at Highland. We have minimum wage earners at Highland. We have CEOs at Highland. We have doctors at Highland. We have those who mop the floor of hospitals at Highland. Hey, we have have ex-prisoners at Highland and police officers at Highland. And that I know of two judges here as well. We're not connected by worldly standards. Therefore, we've got to stop looking at the weak things of this earth to hold us together. In fact, in the church, we need to regularly be around people of different ethnicities. And different socioeconomic strata. And and, and of different preferences as well. I've got a long list of things I really enjoy about this church family. One is there's about three different theological camps that come here on on Sunday. We have the Calvinist. Happy Reformation Day to you. We have the conservatives, those who are just kind of traditional, maybe Protestant, maybe maybe longtime Baptist. And we have charismatics at, at Highland as well. Let me just say that Calvinist and charismatics and conservatives, not only can they worship together, they need to worship together. 
But we are better when we're held together by people who might have a few different preferences on things. And when you get Christ, guess what? You get us. You get the church. Often we think, I just, I just, I want it to be just Jesus. But when you get Jesus, you get Jesus people as well. You get us. And sometimes that means you got drama. Sometimes it means you got crazy. Sometimes it means you got, you got some awkwardness. But we're actually designed to be in a church where we are around different people, where we can look at each other and think, the only thing I really have in common with this person is Christ. And that's enough. That holds us together. We belong to each other. Romans chapter 12, let's pick it up here in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. In other words, we can't get puffed up about our gifts because it's by grace given to us. Let us use them. Let us exercise these gifts. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, let them contribute with generosity. The one who leads, let them lead with zeal, with passion. The one who does acts of mercy, let that person do acts of mercy with with great cheer, with cheerfulness. Here's the second thing, note takers. We are gifted for one another. Somewhere along the line, I think it probably happened here in the West, maybe 50, 60 years ago, we changed that sentence to we are gifted. We began to to become very um, puffed up or arrogant about these these gifts that we have. Do you have, a, do you have this gift? Do you have a greater gift? Do you have that gift? But the truth of the Bible is not just that we are gifted. The truth of the New Testament through the lens of the New Testament church is that we are gifted for one another. So God has gifted through the Holy Spirit every Christian within this church and churches around the world, every Christian with gifts that build up the church body. So every believer here, from, from the eight-year-old believer to the 98-year-old believer and everyone in between, God has given every Christian a spiritual, God-given, Holy Spirit-empowered gift for building up the culture, the doctrine culture, excuse me, the, the gospel culture of this church family. And our gifts are all different. I look across this room, a lot of different gifts. When we have different gifts, that means we have different functions within those gifts as well. And that's the point. That's the beauty of what God is saying here. What God is saying here, everybody listen, everybody counts within the church. Those who are in Christ Jesus, you count. So sisters and brothers, this means simply that God has created you with a gift that is of immense value to this church family. Don't let anybody or the enemy tell you otherwise. Now this does mean, and here comes the offending part, so curl up your toes. We're not called to exist on the fringes of the church. And I go ahead and say it, and you can email me if you want to. Showing up at church every four or five or six weeks is not the picture of the New Testament church. It's the church coming together, the church gathering together. On that first day of the week, the sisters, the brothers, the daughters of God, the sons of God, they would come together because they understood that their giftedness was coming together. That's how the church was intended to be. We use these gifts. Christian, you use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you in-house for one another. So Paul will list seven gifts right here in verse 6 through through verse 8. You've got prophecy, you've got service, you've got teaching, you've got exhortation, you've got contribution or generosity, you have the the leadership, the gift of leadership, the gift of of mercy. Then you get over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 4 and there's more list of spiritual gifts. 
There's about 21 of them listed in the Bible, and every one of those gifts are meant within in-house except for one, and that is evangelism. Taking the gospel outside of the house, taking the gospel outside of the family, so that, or to the, to, to the hope of someone coming into the family, someone coming into the capital C church. And so every believer is gifted by the grace of Christ. We see that right there. This is because of grace, the grace that comes. Therefore, we use our gifts to build each other up. We are gifted for each other. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Here's the third thing. We sincerely love one another. That, that builds a, a gospel culture. That, that builds the fiber of a, of a church when we sincerely love one another. The ESV uses right here in verse 9 the word genuine. Uh, the NIV uses the word sincere, sincerely. So what, what the Spirit is saying is that our love for one another is not fake. It's not superficial. It's not just on the surface. It's this true, authentic non-hypocritical love. In fact, if you have the New American Standard, you NASBers out there, it actually says love must be without hypocrisy. So the love we have for one another is this non-hypocritical, committed love. And the Greek word used right here is a Greek word that probably most of you know. The word he uses for love right here in verse 9 is the word agape, which references this selfless type of love. It's the word that Jesus uses all throughout the New Testament to describe a sacrificial love that we are called to have for one another. In other words, you're placing other people first. You're placing yourself last. That's agape. It's a selfless love. We don't love people based on what we can get from them. We love people sincerely. We love people selflessly. It's, it's this love that's expressed, yes, in word, but more than that, primarily it's a love that's expressed in deed. Romans chapter 12, just the beginning of verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. I'll stop right there. This, this word love in verse 10 is different than the word love used in verse 9 because this word love right here, speaking of care, so here's the fourth thing. We care for one another as family. The word love right here is the word Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the word philos, or philos, which is love. Adelphos, which is the word for brother which is why Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. The, the picture here is a picture of family affection. I mean, think about your family. When you consider your family, you should be considering the responsibility that you have to care for those who really are your family. I think about my wife, Jennifer. Think about my, my two kids, Hannah and Caleb. Think about my son-in-law, Kyle. Think about my granddaughter. I think about my grandmother. I think about my mom and my dad. I think about my sister. I think about the responsibility of care that I have for each of them. When we picture family, we picture responsibility to care for them. Now apply that to the church. We're to care for one another just like we belong to a family together, and we do. I mean, think about what's happening right, right now. As we're in this room on the second floor, there's a group of a lot of kids and there are adults up there. We pray to God there's adults up there. There's adults up there. <laughs> and they're teaching these kids right now like those kids were their own. They're teaching the Bible to kids like those kids were their own family. We have a special needs group that meets, of kids that meet during this 10 o'clock hour as well. There's a, a team of those who volunteer with our special needs kids here at Highland. They, they are loving and serving those kids right now as if those special needs kids were their own brother, their own sister, their own family, their own children. 
I think every week of all the women, all the men, all the students here in this church that care for one another as if they were family. We should constantly be thinking, how can I care for people within the church like they are my own family? The opposite of that is unhealthy. And sadly, the opposite of that is very true in our church culture today, in our nation. People drive up to church thinking, okay, I want church my way today. The grounds better look nice. The parking better be convenient. The coffee, it better be hot. The temperature in the room, it needs to be perfect to my liking. Childcare system better be absolutely seamless. People better be friendly, because I'm not going to be. The music better fit my taste. Sermon better keep my attention. Then I better drive away in a timely fashion, having all my expectations of church today, the whole experience meeting my needs. What if? What if? The only two thoughts we had coming to church on the Sabbath day God, I can't wait to meet with you today. And secondly, I can't wait to meet the needs of others today. I mean, would church not be different? God, I can't wait to meet with you today. I don't care if I'm freezing, if it's a brand new song, if those drums are way too loud. I don't care. God, I want to meet with you Today, God, I want to meet the needs of others today. God, forgive me that I come walking into church thinking that all of my needs need to be met today. Wow. What if our only two thoughts, God, I can't wait to meet you. I can't wait to meet the needs of others. I'll just leave that right there. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, the second part. Love one another with brotherly affection. Also outdo one another in showing honor. This is very interesting. Number five, that is we compete to honor one another. That's really what that word means in Greek. To outdo means we're in a competition. We work hard to honor one another, to build one another up, not tearing other people, other people down, our family down. We guard our tongues. And we look for opportunities. We're searching for opportunities. How can I encourage someone else today? How can I build up someone else today? How can I honor someone else today? Okay, here comes church participation time. How many of you here today are really strong competitors? Like you love to win, you can't stand to lose. Okay, the whole Highland staff needs to lift their hand right now. I've played games with you before, so I know how competitive you are. Yeah, here's what I'm saying. What if everyone who loves to win won this week in the competition of honoring others above honoring yourself? We compete to honor one another. Romans chapter 12, verse verse 11 and 12. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Verse 11 and verse 12. Here's what we see here. We spiritually inspire one another. That builds up the culture. That builds up the gospel culture of of this family. And let me just say, if it's not the Highland family, would you land somewhere? Be a part of the Antioch family. Be a part of the Harris Creek family. Be a part of the Grace family. Be a part of the Mosaic family. Be a part of the Columbus Avenue Baptist Church family. If it's not here, don't just wonder for four years of college or wonder for all of your years here in Waco. Belong somewhere because we need to spiritually inspire one another. Verse 11 through verse 12 is a picture of spiritual passion for Jesus. Look at those verbs. Serving, rejoicing, being patient, being constant in prayer. 
Have you ever been around someone before? When you walk away from them, you think to yourself, I just want to love Jesus more now because I hung out with him or hung out with her. Verse 11 through verse 12. May verse 11 and verse 12 be the commentary of our lives. That's my blessing for you. May verse 11 and verse 12 be the commentary of all of our lives. Let's live so that people grow closer to Christ just by being around us. Romans 12, 13. I jumped ahead a few moments ago. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute, just be warned, it's about finances. The, the hospitality is about invitation. That you're calling people into your life, into your home, uh, into your meals. We financially give, number seven, we financially give with and to one another. Two really strong prepositions there. We give with one another when we all give. We also give to one another. This is what the church was doing from the very beginning in Acts chapter two. They were selling land. They were selling their possessions. They were selling their homes and bringing all those resources in together to share with those who had need. From the very beginning of the Bible, really, God's people have given money together, resources together in this selfless, sacrificial, mutual generosity. So being in a church family involves contributing to one another in a way that provides for one another. But two of our, our church members in a, in a house fire, everything lost this weekend. I mean, immediately, church people started texting me, started emailing me, started calling me like, what, what can we do? How do we, how do we step in? And so it was such a fun thing this morning just to start passing out gift cards to these two guys. I mean, who lost computers, lost clothes, lost everything that they had in that fire. This is the picture that we see here of contributing together. We, we give together because it helps accomplish our mission in the world together. Those who get anxious about money sermons, it is good and right and biblical to give. And I'll let the Holy Spirit just land that on you how it needs to land on you. I know there's some that can't give much, but not giving anything is disobedience. Giving the little that you have, a portion of the little that you have, that's great faith in the eyes of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I'm going to knock out number eight and number nine right here. Number eight, we rejoice with one another. That's the culture that we desire to have, the gospel culture here at Highland. We don't envy other successes. We rejoice when other people have good things happen to them. And like so much of the world, we're not in competition with each other. We're in celebration with each other in all kinds of ways. And number nine, we grieve with one another. When someone within this family hurts, we all hurt. When someone in this family cries, we all cry. We aren't cold with one another when we're grieving. We're compassionate with one another. But we don't separate ourselves out when someone is, is grieving or separate ourselves from them when they're grieving. Just the opposite. We're sympathetic. We share tears. We share tissue. We share prayerful embraces. And I would say we're probably more of a family when we grieve together than even when we celebrate together. Romans 12. Let's do 16, 17, and 18. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. 
Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Number 10, last one, we are humbly peaceful with one another. I think that's the, the, the gist, the essence of verse 16 and 17 and 18. You, you know, we get, we get so offended so quickly in our culture today. We get wounded so quickly in, in our culture today. Then these grudges begin to build up. And then bitterness sets in. Then bitterness begins to grow a root. And it grows up. That's not God's design for his church or for his people. We are to bear with one another. We're to be humble with one another. That's what it means in verse 16, not be haughty toward one another. We are to, verse 18, live peaceably. And I fully understand my heart and probably the hearts of so many of us, maybe all of us here, we all still struggle with sin and pride and self-centeredness. We're people who still struggle with those things. Now, it won't always be that way. But when we get to heaven, our community will be perfect. I can't wait for that day, but, but for now, it's not. Now we say things that we wish we had not said, even within the church community. We do things that we wish we had not done, even within the church community. But we strive for humility in us so that we can be at peace with one another. You, you know, really, when you think about it, we're all beggars. We all deal with our own brokenness. All of us are idle factories. We're also, we're in this together. Let's be in it humbly together. Now, chapter 12 is packed. It is packed with all these commands. Here's the interesting thing. There's about 25 commands, actually, in, in, in chapter 12. But I want you to see that these commands don't just come out of nowhere. The, the, the commands in, in chapter 8, uh, chapter 12, love each other, honor each other, be at peace with one another, give generously to one another. No, every command in Romans 12 is motivated from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The mercy of God. Look again, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you. I beg to you, therefore, church, brothers, sisters, daughters of God, sons of God. I appeal, I beg to you by the mercies of God to present your lives as a sacrifice, holy, acceptable. This is your reasonable act of worship. This, this is your spiritual worship before God. You see, in light of the mercy of God. You can write this down or think this with me. I'll put it in first person for all of us. I live with mercy toward my church family in view of God's mercy toward me. This builds up gospel culture. When we realize how much mercy we have received from God, it makes it so much easier just to be a conduit of the mercy of God. God's mercy being lavished on us, therefore we just distribute that mercy onto others. You see, it's easy to forgive when you realize how much you've been forgiven. It's easy to love when you see the vastness of Jesus' love given to you. It's easy for us to give when we realize that everything that we have, we really do not deserve. It's easy to be filled with mercy. When you realize the amounts of mercy lavished on us at the cross of Jesus. I live with mercy toward my church family in view of God's mercy toward me. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Father, we need that mercy. That mercy is the platform on which we can love others. That mercy is the platform on which we can rejoice with others, grieve with others, be peaceful with one another. It's on that platform that we can give, that we can care like family, that we can love with sincerity, love authentically. God, we thank you for this mercy that's been given to us, lavished upon us.
How dare we be unforgiving? How dare we be unloving? How dare we be uncaring? When we see the mercy of Christ on the cross. So God, may your mercy drive our gospel culture. May your mercy be the platform on which we live in this gospel culture, the way we treat one another and consider one another biblically as family. It's in that mercy that we pray and in that mercy that we sing.